Welcome to Propel, a podcast by Fellowship Pacific to propel you and your ministry forward in the mission God has for you. I'm your host, Jessica Powell, and in today's episode, we're talking about the need to be leaders who lift others up. Leaders who don't view leadership as being about their own achievements, but about investing in others, developing them and empowering them to be all that God has called them to be. To talk about this, Krista Penner from our leadership development team sat down with Lori Hartzorn, who is an international speaker, author, and the host of 700 Club Canada, a national daily TV show. You'll get to hear them talk about the importance of humility in your leadership, how to lead when you're not the one who's ultimately in charge, and how we absolutely must grow in our emotional intelligence if we're going to be able to lead the way God intends us to. So let's get to it. Here's Krista's conversation with Lori Hartzorn. Welcome to the podcast for Fellowship Pacific. I am so excited to be here with you today. My name is Krista Penner, and our guest today is Lori Hartshorn. Lori is a TV host with 700 Club. She is a speaker. She is the author of a fantastic Bible study called Finding Freedom. Today, as we talk with Lori, we're going to be talking about leadership, her journey in leadership, the things that she's learned along the way. And so welcome. We are so glad that you're here with us, Lori. Thank you, Krista. I'm honored to be here. I just think it's great that you've taken time out of your busy schedule to connect with us. And one of the things that we here in the West are looking at doing in our churches is developing leaders. We have a mandate right now that we are looking to develop and identify, identify and develop 2,500 new leaders that are in some kind of ongoing leadership development. And we want to reach that goal by 2022. We're sitting about 1,675 leaders on our list right now. So I'm like, okay, 1,600 done, pretty much 1,000 to go. Uh, So we are definitely interested in hearing what you have to say about the development of leaders, your own journey, what leadership looks like. So as we get started today, Lori, I think it would be great for our listeners to know a little bit about you. And I've given them a little bit of a uh, an intro as far as what you do, but that is, that's just the tip of the iceberg. As I read through uh, your bio um, on your website, I'm like, oh my goodness, what this lady has not done. Uh, that would actually be an easier, an easier intro than all the things that you have done. But I'd love for you uh, to tell us a little bit about your early life, where you grew up, what you did for fun, and really Where in your journey did you really start to understand that God had called you to lead? Hmm. Wow. Well, first of all, um, you know, I'm so excited about your goals because, um, man, leadership math is like the best. I'm a terrible math student, but leadership math is always multiplication. It's never addition. And we can talk about that as we get going here. But when you say, what did you, 1,600, 1,700 leaders, you're going for 25, like, Remember when you re, when you multi, when you develop one leader, that multiplication from that one leader is like can be ten or twenty times. So what you're just talking about the first level of development, which is amazing. So I've just got excited about what you were talking about. But yes, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I grew up in the town of Oshawa, Ontario, Canada. Canada, where GM is known to be the GM town, you know, General Motors. So 
I'm, uh, I'm from the General Motors town and my family are all entrepreneurs. My dad was a builder and uh, where I just have a family either full of farmers or entrepreneurs. That's kind of who we are. Okay. Lots of teachers thrown in there. Um, I grew up playing sports. I was figure skating and between lots of sports and cottage living and music, they were kind of the definition of the fun in my life. I, I grew up in all kinds of theater and singing and sort of performance arts and you know, I'm not a great athlete, but I loved, I loved doing adventurous things. So I did that. I grew up on, in a, on a lake, having a cottage. And so all those things are still important to me in my old age. I still love to play. I still love to go to the cottage. Uh, <laughs> it looks different as you get older, but that's a little bit of me growing up. I would say at seven years old, there was something about knowing that I was a leader because I organized my sister's birthday party at seven years old. <laughs> Maybe I was a bossy kid. Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> but I, my mom says she couldn't believe it at seven years old. I, I made the list of friends. I organized the food. I planned the games. Anyway, I was very young and encouraged to lead, but I never, of course, understood what really that meant. Um, I would say in my teen years, there were significant things that happened uh, where I was given opportunities to lead and I had people that believed in me and of course developed that. Um, but I would say from a very young age, I've kind of found myself somewhat naturally, you know, stepping in to help others and solve a problem. That's awesome, Lori. The reason I ask you that question as we talk about leadership today is I think it's really important for our listeners to, for themselves to look back and go, what's the journey that I have been on? What are some of the milestones, the influencers in my life who have shaped me? Because it's in looking back and actually putting some words and some thoughts around these moments in our lives where God calls us or puts a finger on us or somebody says a word to us that we begin to understand that it's bigger than maybe what we imagined it would be. And so really, as you look back at those milestones in your life, seven years of age and into your teen years, were there any people that you recall, maybe, maybe even, you know, kind of abstract times and people in your life that really influenced you early on in your leadership journey. Yes, and you're right. Uh, sometimes we just are on this journey in our life. We're not, we don't have words for it. And I think, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna use the gender on, you know, woman journey. I think men to experience this, but I'm speaking as a woman and the culture and age I grew up in, which is also the context, context is king. So I'm growing up in a culture, uh, good fellowship Baptist church girl. I never saw a woman pastor. I saw many women in leadership in our church, but I never saw a woman preaching from the pulpit. I never saw a woman like a Beth Moore teaching the Bible I always knew women could lead, but it was always sort of that second chair or maybe it wasn't even second chair. Maybe it was just down the row somewhere. Yeah. So you have to appreciate the context that I was growing up in. And 
in some ways it put in my psyche that I know I can lead, but maybe only to a certain level and only if I'm under men. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that that was my experience. But ironically, I had many men in my life that were key influencers in calling me up to leadership. So in the context of maybe what could have been somewhat an oppressive environment, I experienced being built up, encouraged by a pastor. He was, he was our music director at our church. I was 17 years old. Um, of course, at the time I was involved in community theater. I was in our high school plays, like doing musicals and productions were, from the time I was probably eight years old, I was doing those kinds of things. So at 17, he said, you should be directing. I think you could direct a kid's musical. I'm like, what? Like, I don't know. I've never been the director. And he said, I'll support you. We have over a hundred children. I'm 17. Like, I don't know. And, you know, I just, he encouraged me so much. He believed in me. Um, the musical was It's Cool in the Furnace, which is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And the music was really upbeat and great. And some of listening might go, I remember that. But you know what? It was, he let me lead. And I remember crying out of, I had such joy. I, I just had such joy. I remember thinking I could, I loved doing that. I, I mentored these young kids. I grew, some of them today, they're still my friends. They were chill. I was 17. I wasn't that much older than some of the kids that were, you know, in the acting parts. And I loved it. I had such joy about it. I remember crying and I thought I'll never be able to do that again. Oh, isn't that a weird thought? It is. Yeah. Like, yeah. I thought, you know, I, it just shows that I had this insecurity that only, well, if, if a man leader invited me, it would be okay, but I bet you that'll never happen again. Such an interesting, and I didn't understand that that was inside of me somewhere, but through years of, you know, even some therapy and some dealing, growing and maturing in my own character and my own inner emotional health, I realized that I, I always felt underqualified and always felt like, well, unless I was invited, I shouldn't ever push my way into leadership. So I just share that because I think there's, that's common for many women and certainly out of the generation that I grew up in. But um, I will say one other thing. Um, I also had many women that encouraged me. And through a simple program of Pioneer Girls, I went every week to Pioneer Girls. I went to Camp Kira. And I was part of a two-year leadership program at Camp Kira. And I profoundly encountered God at camp. And I had, and again, as a, as a good Baptist girl, and I'd say that respectfully, but I didn't have language for supernatural experiences. But I know that I had a supernatural experience of calling to leadership. And I was all by myself out in this field I was a situation that happened where one of my girlfriends invited her boyfriend to come to, for the weekend. You know, we had the day off and we were going to go into town. And I mean, um, I'm sure there wasn't much to do in town. But anyway, we're at Walkerton. We didn't want to drink the water. I can tell you that much. Anyway, we uh, <laughs> the boyfriend came up and brought a friend. Long story short, I felt very uncomfortable with this friend. And I didn't want to hurt my girlfriend, but I said, I'm not feeling comfortable going out with you guys. 
I'm going to stay at camp. You go ahead. She was really ticked off at me because, you know, his, this, her boyfriend brought this other guy and they thought it was great. I just, I just wasn't feeling it. And I was really not feeling safe or secure with who this person was and not that they were bad, but I just didn't feel it. And so anyway, I stayed alone at camp. I was all by myself. And in some ways I had taken a stand and I'm not suggesting there was anything horrific about what they were gonna do, but something didn't sit right in my spirit. And I was out in a field and I was just talking to God and I had a supernatural encounter with the Lord. I felt his presence, literally this warmth came over me. I found myself face down in this field and the grass in the felt so soft like a pillow. I laid like in this soft blanket and I felt this warm blanket come over me. And I heard this voice and it was a rare occasion in my life. It's only happened a few times. This audible voice that said, I will use you. You will serve me. And I knew something. In, I knew in that moment, whatever God asked me to do, I would do. And I, that is my call to leadership. And it wasn't about a position or an aspiration. It really never has been. I think I was this, in many ways, an insecure young girl, young woman who was trying to figure out my own identity and purpose. I had a lot of enthusiasm. I wasn't afraid to try things, but there was a much deeper knowing in my life that every decision I made from that day on, I would consult the Lord with, not that I've, I've screwed that up many times, but my heart was to consult the Lord and that I would be a servant. And I can tell you, Krista, that is my motivation for leading. Um, when it gets tough, when I feel insecure, when I feel unqualified, I go back to the moment and I'm like, Lord, did, are you asking me to do this? Because if you are, okay. That has been my, that's been the thread all through my life, going back to that moment. And I've had ups and downs in leadership. I've had many challenges. Um, I've, I've questioned myself, let alone I'm sure others questioning me. But I share that to say not everybody has maybe that, you know, tangible experience, but God does love to speak to us. And if you lead, I really do feel that you need to go to him and talk to him about it. And he and ask him to assure you of whatever assignment. It's not really about leadership, it's just whatever assignment he's given you that it's actually from him. And then that'll carry you through the ups and downs. So that is... The influence, I had a woman and staff there that, that helped me process what happened to me in that field. She was a very prayerful woman. She didn't dismiss it. She said, you need to listen to that, Lori. And she helped me unpack that experience. And I have had onto that. I am now 58 years of age. And that I probably was 15, 16. I'll never forget no, it. It was, and I'm so thankful for someone who helped me unpack that. Yeah, yeah. life changing, and yeah, it's those defining yeah. moments. And I think you know, for many of us, 
if we think back, even in the moment, like at the, in the moment, yeah, it was significant for you in the moment, but it probably became more significant for you the further you were away from that moment as you looked back and went, wow, what happened there? Right. Look at the journey yes. God has put me on. And, and um, it's so interesting for you to share with us about this journey, um, you know, in a fellowship Baptist church. Uh, and, and, and I can just say women our age, because here we are in this place, recognizing that, you know, we didn't think of ourselves as leaders, we because we were never in that category. And I remember being involved in politics and uh, the premier of the province of British Columbia saying to me, you know, you should really pursue, you know, maybe you should pursue ministry. And I said, well, I'd be a pastor if I was a man. And he goes, what's stopping you? That was the premier of our province. He didn't even really share my denominational background. He would, he was a Christian, wow. but um, a practicing Catholic. Uh, and so here, and, and so never heard those things within the context of church. So didn't believe that reality about leadership for myself, much like your story. Fascinating. And it, really, yeah. it kind of leads me, Lori, as we, we talk about this thing of leadership and kind of get down to some of the nitty gritty of this, uh, you've been, uh, you've held some amazing positions of leadership in your journey. You've had some incredible experiences. Uh, you have led in different organizations. And um, I, I just want to ask you, why, why do you think that we keep talking about leadership why do we keep talking about the deficit of leadership? Why do we keep seeing a deficit of leadership, not just in the church, but in our culture? What are the elements of leadership that, um, and, and in the broader community and in the church, that continue to be a struggle for us in our humanity? What is it that keeps us from being the leaders that God's called us to be? You know, I've, I've really, when you sent me that question, it's a great one. It's a loaded one. And I'm sure there's people smarter than I am that would be able to answer it, you know, on a whole other level. But I'll tell you from, you know, I don't know, I feel like 100 years, I haven't lived 100 years, but from leading, you know, in various positions, as well as just doing whatever God calls me to do one step at a time, assignment after assignment after assignment. I find a thread in my own experience that there's a lack of either the understanding of how to develop people or there's actually not a value in developing people. So it, I think it starts with, do we actually value it? Or do we look at leadership as a position and a place to arrive but rather than in some ways flip the leadership paradigm upside down, rather than thinking of leadership is about getting to the top, flipping it upside down and saying leadership is about actually becoming the servant of all. Leadership is about lifting other people up. So if you view leadership as some place to arrive, then it really is very self-absorbing. And unfortunately, and sadly, in a lot of our ministry structures, we've allowed this not bad people, just structure itself is sort of this hierarchical view of leadership. You know what I'm saying? And so we aren't actually building structures that say leadership is actually about 
how many people you can empower, how many people you as a leader grow and develop and make them succeed, where we take on this leadership view of being how much do you as an individual leader achieve? How much can you accomplish all the things you're responsible for, which is a lot of pressure. And I think it's a paradigm shift and I think we're getting there, but I think it comes down to really not understanding either valuing or understanding how to develop people and we don't do it well. And when you shared right off the top about wanting to develop leaders and want to multiply leaders and, and the mentoring, that you, I mean, honestly, that's what leadership is about. And I think we've had a backwards view of leadership in ministry. And just, it's like when your theology or your philosophy or ideology is frameworked here, you work out of that framework. So you really have to stop and think, what do we really believe about leadership? And is leadership about empowering people? Is it about developing people? Are we going to have, you know, more of a, whether hierarchy or a more of a flatline team or what do we what is our structure in order to enable that to happen I think they're the conversations and the structuring conversations that have to take place and when you hire someone you've got to know like do they want the job for themselves or will they take this job this position in order to enable and develop other people that's a very important question that isn't often asked. No, that's really a good way to put it, Lori. That's powerful. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you nailed it when you talk about this idea that do you lead for the sake of leading? Or are you leading because you want other people to actually be better than you? You know, we talk about that in Fellowship Pacific with our Immerse program where we're training up uh, young men and women to lead in our churches. We, it's based, they have a three mentors on their team that in, interact with them over a period of time. And I keep hammering into these mentors. The whole goal here is that they are to be better leaders than you. They can do the job better than you. You've succeeded right. when they surpass you. And right. that takes an exorbitant amount of humility to be that leader who says, no, 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 you're going to be better than me. You're going to do this way better than me. They're not even going to remember who I am because you're going to be the star. That is really, um, that's a high calling. It's what we're called to in Christ, but yeah. living it out in the reality of every day is very, very, very difficult. And I think that if we, um, I, I love that you, um, feel like we're moving towards that in how we are doing church, but I think that it's a daily battle for each one of us who are in leadership to be reminded of why we're in that place of leadership and to not get hung up on getting our way or being in charge or having our idea be the best idea in the room. Um, I know that even in my, my paradigm of leadership, I always herald back to when I was in the third grade, uh, we put on a play. And it was a Christmas play back in the day when you, you know, it was a Santa Claus play and every little girl in the room uh, in the grade three class wanted to be Mrs. Claus. And I kind of <laughs> ran and went, well, I can't be Santa Claus because I'm a girl and everybody else wants to be Mrs. Claus. What am I going to do? And lo and behold, if I wasn't the only child in the room who wanted to be the elf who had the idea that saved Christmas. That was really when I figured out I was a leader in grade three. Wow. But 
That's not awesome. funny, but the point I'm making yeah. is that oftentimes in our leadership, we want to be the one with the idea. We want to be the one at the head. And instead of finding people with ideas, um, yeah. being our best idea is the person we find with the idea. So very, very, very good. Um, we're going to move on to another question here that uh, really, I know you have a heart for this. This has been part of your story. You've already alluded to it. This idea of leading from the second chair, that challenging position where in the world that we live in, oftentimes uh, men, for men and women, they find themselves in that second chair. So when you have had this in your, as you've seen this in your own life, um, and looked at your leadership aspirations and your gifts and your clear vision for your organization. What are some of the strategies that you've engaged in your leadership journey that have helped you succeed when you find yourself in a place where you're not always able to enact your vision the way that you would want to? What, what do you do from that second chair that you sometimes find yourself in? Well, I've often found myself in a second chair um, I can give you just quick examples. Like I was in education for 21 years. So I was a teacher. Uh, so I wasn't the principal. I worked for a principal. I moved into a development director of development role. So I, you know, was more in the overall leadership. I, I didn't know I could do this, but anyway, we launched a building campaign. I raised the money. I, whatever, cast the vision for the building campaign, but I was still second chair. I answered to the principal and the board. Um, I had an assignment within the organization and a leadership role, but really I was second chair. Then I go to, um, in, in a church, I was a pastor, you know, for five years, I was the groups, connections, so groups, hospitality, everything under connections. I was in a very large church, so a lot of staff. I was second or third or fourth, whatever. I was on the leadership team, but I was second chair. I had staff who worked for me, but I worked for someone else. I led uh, Equip Leadership Canada. Now, in that case, I was running Equip Leadership Canada. However, I was answering to a board who answered for the organization, the state. So in some ways, I, I just feel like I've always been in the second chair. I, and and, and I'm, I'm not begrudging it. I, I think I've, I, this quickly, I would say, here's a few things I've learned. If you're in the second chair, you've got to ask yourself, are you aligned with the vision? Because if you're not aligned with the vision and you always feel like they're going, you know, this way and you're always going this way, oh, it's a very difficult place to be. So I would just, I had to at times ask if I'm really not feeling like we're all going the same direction, then maybe it's time for me to leave. You know, like in the second chair, you, you don't, you just have to accept the fact that you're, you can influence, but you're not necessarily going to be the one setting the direction hopefully you have influence there, but I found there was just that tension sometimes that you got to sort of get yourself in check, make sure that you are in alignment with the vision. I would say, let go of the things that you can't control and lead your team well. Others will take note. Mm. Just support all the things, the things you've been called to do, do it. Never, um, never criticize the main leader in front of others go directly to the main leader because it's very hard to be the leader. And I've been the leader over other people, but in my position as second chair, I needed to go directly to those leaders. And there was times when I failed to do that. And I would say they were the hard lessons I learned that 
it's very important that you honor your whoever you're under and you want the same for yourself if people are under you that you take those concerns directly to the person you're working with and be supportive of the main leader if you're not in alignment then honestly it's probably time for you to leave like that's the truth you know um if you're always trying to change the organization you're and you're not on board it's it's not worth staying that would be a whole other conversation but i would say engage in the decision making process in a way that um you feel heard but you don't have to have control over everything and you have to let go of maybe some of those decisions that you would like to see done differently just recognize your role and in many ways um stay within what you've been asked to do but but there is a a breaking point to that and that's when you have to know can i still stay in this position but anyway i i just say some of those things um have helped me in the in the past in many of those roles that i've been in and there's a time to leave and we could talk about that but i think as a second chair leader you really have to know your place and and do it well do it well um and i think there's a good way to engage in decision making and a strategy that i've often used is maybe it's helpful to some but you know if you feel like you're not in control of all the decisions but i'd say just break the situation into manageable parts like don't take on the whole thing i've been prone to do that which has not been helpful to me or the team so when i've been more clear about breaking down the decision making it's really helped me identify what you can control what you can't control use your influence in a positive manner don't be manipulative or you know trying to do things outside of the proper parameters and be optimistic when you communicate because some of the hard lessons i've learned is when i'm frustrated about something you know you can go behind closed doors and express those things but you have to you have to learn how to take your emotion it's not that you don't have emotion but you have to direct your emotional energy towards the right purpose and that otherwise you just find as a leader you're getting caught up into too many other people's emotions does that make sense totally so totally you're caught between leading others and being led by someone else very important how you do that and playing your role in a in a positive way not that you can't bring up problems cuz i love to bring up problems but try to be constructive and maybe one problem at a time yeah. and i would say the reason i'm sharing this is because i've made all the mistakes <laughs> it'd be great lori if we could learn these things without making the mistakes but so well, often it's know. walking into it that you, you you gain the wisdom because you went oh that was a bad yes. idea oh that didn't work everything that you're talking about really is um part uh is is the foundational formula that you're talking about is what we talk about in our board training and um in our crucial conversations training and all the different th- types of leadership things that we do we talk about this formula of responsibility plus authority equaling accountability and how that yeah. that is so foundational and key to whatever god's called you to it's like drive like is you know driving in your lane um being responsible for 
the things yeah. that you can have uh, authority over and you are held accountable for and not mowing the lawn that's not yours to to mow. Um, right, you know, exactly. You know, especially when you see a better way to do it or you just want to get it done. Yeah. You know, as a leader, sometimes you have to stop yourself and go, wait a minute, I am not helping to develop that leader by doing the job that I gave them to do or by the job that they right. need to be held accountable for. I've got to let them either fall yeah. off the cliff and figure it out yep. um, and be there to pick up the pieces because I, what's the result that I want? And sometimes I think as a leader, we have to think about results, not so much in program or in production mm -hmm. as it is in people development. What is the result for that you yeah. want for that person? What's going to be best? How yeah. are they going to be ready to lead in five or 10 years when I'm sitting at my cabin with my dog knitting how are they going to do, right? You know, I'm just making that up, but you know, yeah. what, how are they going to be ready to lead? And I think that's, yeah. that's just key. So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, yeah. Moving, moving. Yeah. Can I just say yeah. just in response to what you're saying there, you see people development is messy. Mm -hmm. If you think you can put charts and schedules on paper and you can say, oh, we're going to, you know, ABC, but if you really are invested in people, it's messy and you've got to accept that. Some people don't like mess. So I'm not suggesting it has to be haphazard, but, but as you say, you've got to take risk. You've got to give people chances. You've got to, be people believed in me. People took risk on me. I didn't always come through, but I was encouraged and I was supported and I was helped. And here's oh. something I've always do for my team. And I think it's critical, critical. If you want to help develop someone, if you are leading anyone, here's three things you need to do for them. And they're really simple, but it's you need to equip them, give them what they need to do the job. And that is ongoing. And equipping means if they blew it, if something didn't work out, well, you equip and say, well, even better if, what could we do better next time? What lessons have we learned? That's all a part of equipping. Empower them, as you said, give them authority allow them to make decisions. Don't be always hyper-controlling all the decisions and give them resources and encouragement because you can never give too much encouragement and you can never give too many resources. And often we ask people to do things and we don't give them the tools to do it. And that is one of the most frustrating places to be. And I think as a leader, my responsibility is not just to ask you to do a job, to empower you to do a job, to encourage you to do a job, but I need to give you the tools yeah, and, and I can't be all cheap about it. And that's where often ministry gets really cheap. And they're like, well, I don't know, find your own office, get your own computer, like pay your own phone call. Like, really, I'm being serious that it just discourages people. And, and I mean, you don't need to give them, you know, the, the a palace, but the point is really, that's a practical way you help people and support them. And I, so often I'm shocked at how many times that's missed. We make, we, we're cheap out and we, and it doesn't even have to be dollars. It can be your time and energy that you give them, right? Yeah. Share your own bookshelf. I have a library. I'm a bookkeeper, like seriously, not a bookkeeper as in keeping, I keep books. I unfortunately have far too many books. And I just told my staff, you, any book you want, I'll buy it for you. I'll get you any book you want. Yeah. As long as you'll read it, 
And as long as you'll come back and tell me what you learned. Because yeah. then I figure it saves me time for reading the book. They can teach me about the book. I don't mind paying for it. What's the cost of a book? Yeah. And honestly, we built this team library and I would learn from everyone else in the team because I would buy them any book they want. Oh, I would send them to any course they want, but they had to then teach us. You went to that course, now teach us. It's a great bang for the buck. But often we get so cheap in ministry. Oh, we can't afford to buy you a book. We can't afford to send you on a course. We're losing the big picture that when you invest in people yeah. and, and hold them accountable to give back what you've invested in, it's, it's such a great growth and simple growth method. Uh, and actually, it's kind of fun. Like, I'm like, what do you learn and teach me? But you have to be a teachable person to enable other people to teach you and the cycle. See how the cycle just goes on? Totally. We all need to be lifelong learners. Uh, we all, and we need to yeah. be encouraging those that, uh, that we lead. Absolutely. I think it's actually, I get really excited when I see anybody on my team wanting to learn more or reading a book yeah. and then coming back and going, this is what I learned and, th and this is how we can apply it to what we're doing. That is that is what we need to be doing. Yeah. Um, as we are, are going to wind down a little bit here, I have a few more questions for you, Lori. Um, when we focus on, let's focus a little bit about women in church ministry. Let's talk about that for a bit. Oftentimes we find ourselves in a place where we've hit a glass ceiling. You know, we talk about this glass ceiling, this glass ceiling is sort of like the catchword these days. What I'd love for you to do is to speak about this a little bit and offer some insight to our listeners regarding how within church ministry do we approach this? Um, and then kind of coupling that, um, maybe tying a couple things together, kind of speak about how we approach this, um, what that's looked like in your journey, even as you're now, you know, with the 700 Club and, and what you've been doing. And what would you say in regard to this whole issue as you see younger women coming up in leadership in our churches, uh, the 20 something women? Uh, what would you say to them about their dreams about ministry uh, within the context of church? So I've kind of wrapped mm -hmm. a few things all in one, but I just want to explore and let talk to us about this stuff. Oh man, I could unleash. Um, okay, where do I start? Uh, the glass ceiling. Um, I, I learned a lot from John Maxwell. I worked for John uh, for three and a half years. I directed Equip Leadership Canada. We train leaders all across Canada. Biblical leadership principles. I still learn from John. I think he's a brilliant um, writer and teacher in leadership. And he calls it the law of the lid. We may call it the glass ceiling. I think the fundamental issue here that happens is, and this will resonate with some people, is how do I know I've hit the glass ceiling? What does that look like? What's that feel like? The law of the lid says essentially that we all have a different capacity to lead. Like we all can lead, we can all influence. Some people, if it's one to 10, some people are very high capacity people. And that a lot of that has to do with they can lead thousands or hundreds or thousands of people. Like not everyone can do that. Some people have a smaller capacity. It doesn't mean effectiveness. We're talking about capacity. So you're more comfortable leading a small group or a few people versus a massive organization. But people who lead at a very high capacity also have the ability to uh, see vision wise to be able to see far in advance 
Uh, they can even plan and think far in advance and they, they have this ability to see sort of ahead of others. So what happens is if you are say a high capacity leader, you're maybe a six or a seven out of 10 and you've got these visions, you can grow people and you just know how to get things done, but you're working for a four. You're working for somebody who is effective in their area, but they really are not as effective at growing the vision or casting the vision or getting people on the team. So you feel like you're always doing this. Oh yeah, but we could, oh, we could do better. Oh, we, you're just hitting your head all the time. The law of the lid or the ceiling. So in some ways it could be that you have actually a higher capacity to lead. Now here's what could happen to that four. They could lift the lid. If they're a good leader, they'll say, just like you said, Krista, you know what, I recognize my capacity. I'm secure and I'm gonna lift the lid and say, wow, I'm gonna let you fly. And you could actually work for a four because they will let you soar and maybe grow things that they couldn't grow. And actually it could work. But what happens is if you get a leader that they will not lift their lid, they will not let anybody who has greater capacity to lead, lead. It's just, you have two choices. You can stay in the organization and keep hitting your head and become passive. You, your head gets sore. You get tired of always sort of seeing ahead of the leader and wanting to do things, but they keep you down. They keep you in place. They keep correcting you. They keep reminding you that they're in charge. Those kinds of leaders don't want to grow you. So you have a choice. You can stay in the organization, but you'll have to become passive. You'll have to hold back. You'll have to work within the restraints. And I, that's not, not always bad, but I would suggest you can only do that for so long for your own mental health and your own emotional health and your own growth. The other choice is to leave and leaving can be a freeing thing for you to grow somewhere else. The key to the lid, the key to the glass ceiling is for people who are the ceiling to recognize they are the ceiling. And if they would lift the lid, if they would raise the ceiling, if they could recognize in their health, emotional health, which is where it all comes down to, that they can let others succeed ahead of them or be better at something than they are. And they are the rare leader. Uh, there should be many of those leaders in ministry, but unfortunately, a lot of it has to do with our own emotional health. And now we're talking about emotional health and leadership. And that's why I have greater hope and greater, I think we're, we're approaching leadership from a much healthier way. So the, the ceiling issue, the law of the lid is that tension between do you stay or do you go? And I think if your leader can expand the lid and make room for you, you could thrive. But if you have a leader who will not expand the lid and make room for your growth, really, it's better to leave. And then you read the book called Necessary Endings by Dr. Henry Cloud. I've read it four times. Seriously, I've read it four times and I have left four times. Okay, just to say it'll teach you how to leave well, when to leave, what are good reasons for leaving, what when you know it. It's actually a necessary ending. How do I identify? Is it me or is it them? Some of it's you, some of it's them. So oh, that's good. I throw that out there to say, 
It's a big topic, the glass ceiling or the law of the lid, as we would call it in Maxwell terms, squashed by these things. And yet we could navigate them in healthier ways if we become more aware of our own selves and also a greater awareness of others. And honestly, that book, I would just put it as a must read for every leader, Necessary Endings. It's a wonderful tool to help you assess your own stuff, which is so important before you start pointing the finger at anyone else. And it will free you up also to take a more objective view of what you're experiencing, to make an objective decision as to whether to stay or to go. And it's, anyway, I would throw that out there. Does that answer sort of that first part? Yes, that's really, really good. And just a reminder to our listeners, you know, that you evaluate, you read a book like that, not just uh, for your own self, but you evaluate how you're leading. Are you causing somebody to think that they should lead? Like, are you being a lid? Um, That is, that's a big self-awareness piece. And we're all about EQ. We're all about our emotional intelligence out here in British Columbia and Fellowship Pacific. We're running EQ boot camps where we're helping with that whole thing, where am I really understanding the motivation behind my behavior um, and why I act a certain way and why I lead a certain way and why I think a certain way. Um, Yeah. Insecurities. And uh, so much of that plays a role in how we, how we lead and how we interact. No, that's super good. Yeah. Some of these other things, hundred percent. Tell us about what you're doing now with your job what gives you the greatest satisfaction in that job Yeah, um, and what you would tell yeah. women who are coming up in leadership. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm at 700 Club Canada. I have to add the Canada yeah. side of it because 700 Club is US and that's a whole different deal. But I host the 700 Club Canada show and you know what? I've always been a storyteller and I honestly, it gives me such great joy every day. Um, it's a daily TV show across Canada. We share the greatest story ever, the gospel. I get to tell the gospel every day. I get to interview or we have beautiful testimonies of how God changes people's lives. So I'm just sitting in a seat of storytelling. I mean, it just what's better in my world, what's better than that? I just, I'm so thrilled to be a part of a ministry where we're just every day declaring how great God is, how good God is, that the gospel changes people. And then we have stories and testimonies and interviews to prove it. So we're seeing, you know, God's doing great things in Canada. I see the church on the move. I see a ground swelling and a ground roots movement of people. I've had a personal shakeup uh, this, you know, what once, you know, good old Baptist girl, I've just busted out of a lot of my, you know, background and my the, growing in my theology and, and understanding and just feeling so much more freedom in my life to enjoy God, to love people, to share the gospel with people. And I just feel that freedom, every believer freedom in our nation, I think is the way of the church, every believer walking in, you know, the truth of who they really are, their identity in Christ and every believer being on mission. I think that is what it's about. And I think when churches and they are, they're waking up to, it's not about a special speaker or a special pastor or whatever. And we, we value those roles, but it's about empowering the body of Christ to go be on mission. So I kind of feel like I'm going from a, 
little, my little role with 700 Club Canada, I get a national seat to just say, go, 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 go team. And that's what I hope our show is doing. I would say this in closing to people that are younger, uh, you're leading, um, two things you need, you need resilience. You need to know and you grow, the only way you get resilience is by going through tough things. Yeah. You got to be willing to go through tough things. You got to be willing to work it out. You don't bail, you know, as soon as you feel uncomfortable. I, I, you grow in resilience by saying yes to God when he tells you to do something and then guaranteed it'll be much bigger than you ever bargained for and it'll be beyond your capabilities, which is a God-sized thing. And you will grow if you're willing to risk your reputation, willing to risk, you know, whatever those things in life that we we try to hold on to too much control let go of it and let god teach you and put yourself in vulnerable places where you're teachable where you can learn go through tough things and you will go through tough things and they won't necessarily be about your job some of the greatest lessons in my life have been the resilience i've learned in marriage in my marriage that the resilience i've learned as a mom I share our story of having three prodigal kids. It was a seven year nightmare in my life. And I felt like such a failure as a mom and, and a wife and a leader and you name it. And you can hear that story on my Finding Freedom series. But you know, I grew in resilience, which is character, grow in character, let God change you. And the second thing I'd say is grow in emotional intelligence, that EQ thing. We're much better at acknowledging mental and emotional health matter. We are whole people. We're made in the image of God. We need to look at the wholeness of who we are physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, relationally, like grow in holistically. It matters that you eat well. It matters that you exercise and rest. It matters that you take care of your family and your friendships. You cannot lead from a place of health if you don't actually understand that God said, love others the way, like love yourself. And I'm not in a selfish way, but God loves you. And he wants you to view yourself the way he views you. He adores you. And he doesn't want you to diminish who you are. He wants you to take care of yourself because you are an image bearer. You reflect God. If you're all a mess in your life and you're full of, you know, emotional trauma and you're emotionally up and down and you have like, we need to reflect the image of God. We don't have to be perfect, but the more we rely on the source, which is the Holy Spirit and Christ in us, he reforms us. He shapes us. He shapes our character. He gives us resilience. And then we start operating out of a place that is emotionally intelligent. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, we're just human and we make mistakes and that's okay. Like, be, don't be so hard on yourself, but grow. Just be willing to grow and stay humble and stay kind. Yeah. Like that, I can't say enough about being humble and kind. I haven't always been humble and kind and I've, the Lord has convicted me in my life when I've let pride or, or anger or frustration be my, my, my guide, my motivation. And as the Lord has purified my own emotions and I take my emotions to him and then I say, okay, God, give me your humility. Give me your kindness. 
then everything just, even if it doesn't go your way, it doesn't really matter because who you are matters more than what you do or accomplish. In the end of the day, like it just really is more about being more like Christ. And it really doesn't matter what positions we've held because really not sure that that's going to hold a whole lot of weight when we stand before our King, but our heart is going to matter. Oh, that's and so the glory, you know, the older I get, the less the stuff I do matters, what you do matters, but more important, how you do it. Yeah. And, and I'm still learning that I'm still learning that. And, and again, it's not about being perfect, but, but when you shift to, there's a real freedom in just resting in your relationship with Christ taking time to let him shape you, confess your sins, admit when you're wrong, get rid of any pride, man. You will have so much joy in your life. You'll just have joy in your life. It really won't matter as much what you do. And even if you have to change up what you do, you'll do it in a way that's joyful and follow the peace don't don't make decisions where you're all at angst about things that's why you need mentors that's why you need people to talk to that's why you gotta get on your face and pray about things follow peace it's always a great guide and don't make decisions if you're not at peace and it's not about having everything figured out but there's peace even in spite of that you don't have the answers to everything so Honestly, I, that's what I'd share with you. That's really great. We are so grateful that you've spent this time with us today. Just as we close up um, our time here together, is there maybe a few resources that you would share with our listeners that you're reading right now, things that have really, that are, that are you know, pushing you forward in 2021? Well, you've unpacked. I could, you know, Hi. let me reach for my pile. <laughs> okay. That's great. One of my one of my mentors, John Maxwell, says leaders are readers, and it's true. You've always got to grow. So here's my little stash right Love now. It. So I always read an autobiography. Always reading an autobiography because you learn from people's lives. So right now, part of my job, Pat Robertson. So he's released his newest autobiography. Well, you know what? I'm 700 Club Canada. I should probably know his story. Yeah. And so I'm reading his story. Um, I love. I just finished reading Lisa Bevere's uh, Godmothers. It's a great book. Okay. It's a great book. It's all about mentoring. It's, oh, it's so good. And I would strongly encourage you to read that. Um, I picked this one. This is the third time I've read this book by John Maxwell, Put Your Dream to the Test. There were some dreams I had and I realized, oh, I need to re-bring those dreams up again and Ask the Lord, is it time for me to do anything about that? So I just, this is kind of like a little tool book I use. And it has like a list of 10 things. And I've just been re-going through. I've been taking some dreams and putting them through the test. Awesome. Um, I have confronting Christianity. Because I work in the communications industry, in media, um, I feel that it's very important for me personally and my work. And it's an interest of mine. I always need to be asking important questions about my faith. And so I really found that this author, Rebecca um, McCollin, 
McCollin. She is amazing. And she just raises like questions that people ask about Christianity. I mean, how are we going to be really honest about our faith if we never actually engage people with questions? So I've really enjoyed this one. And I Bible teach on the show. So I, that's also another reason why I like to read, you know, more apologetics kind of books. And then this personal book, Leighton Ford's autobiography. I just finished A Life of Listening. Beautiful autobiography of Leighton Ford, who worked with Billy Graham. And my last one I'll give you is um, one. I love my Kindle. So my books are on Kindle. But God in the Pandemic by N.T. Wright. I'm reading that right now because we kind of got a lot of crazy going on. I don't even know myself how to navigate this time. Because I'm in media, I have to be careful what I say. And I not that I can't be authentic, but I don't want to be causing, saying things that are causing being unhelpful. I try not to be unhelpful. And I don't have to know everything, but I that's why I'm reading God in the Pandemic. I find N.T. Wright are asking helpful questions about how we address, uh, you know, this worldwide crazy time that we're in. So it's giving me a frame of reference for how even I personally and professionally address it. Oh, that's fantastic. There you go. Thank you, Lori. We are so grateful that you spent this time with us uh, today. And I know our listeners are going to be, will glean so much from this conversation. Uh, you are a wealth of knowledge and, and wisdom and your authentic walk with God is so apparent and so encouraging. And so I hope our listeners have been encouraged by what we've talked about today. So uh, just to, we will just to let our listeners know all of the resources that uh, Lori has mentioned, we will make sure that those are listed and you're able to access those. So again, Lori, thank you for being with us here today. You're welcome. You're so welcome. I'm cheering you on. I so believe in what you're doing, Krista. I so believe and I'm excited about what God's doing in our nation and around the world. Uh, go team. Yay. Go team. Yay. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I know there were a lot of resources mentioned throughout the conversation today, but don't worry if you didn't get a chance to jot them all down because we've got them all listed for you in our show notes. And don't forget that our team here at the Fellowship Pacific Ministry Center is here to serve you and support you. To find out more about the resources we have available and to get in contact with us, visit our website at www.fedpacific.ca.